let's go to the Lord um, in, in prayer, and then we will go into the Word this morning. Father God, we come before your throne of grace one more time. God, I just pray that uh, you will just be with us this morning. Speak to us in a special way, God. You are a God who knows our past. You are the God who knows our future. Father God, there is nothing hidden from you, Father. This morning, we pray, Father God, lifting our eyes towards the mountain where our heart comes from. Our heart comes from the maker of heaven and earth. Father, this morning, we're so thankful that you are a good, 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 good father to us, Father God. Thank you for all the prayers, Father God. We are so grateful. Our hearts are filled with joy in listening, Father God, to what you're doing in our lives, Father God. Our prayers are getting answered, Father God. The prayers are just being lifted up before you every single time, Father God. And we see how, Father, your hands and your robe rolls over each and every one of us. I'll be sending ourselves into your mighty hands this morning as we listen to your word, Father God. Let your word become real in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, Father, for your glory. Amen. The conference has been muted. All right. This morning, you know, I wanted to, you know, take another route. Like uh, we, we started off with the miracles a couple of weeks ago. We, we read about like uh, the, the, the man, the men, actually, the 10 men that were cured of leprosy and how one of them came back and thanked the Lord and how his life was completed with, uh, you know, not just a physical healing, but also a complete healing, a sozo healing that we saw. And, and then we moved on to see the man who was blind from his birth. And that chapter, the whole chapter in John was just dedicated to not only the miracle, but also the other things that followed in that miracle and how their parents were investigated to authenticate the, the, the miracle. And then we moved on to the Old Testament to see some of the parallels to this in the life of Elisha. And, and, and those two miracles that we saw in the Old Testament with the man that was in leprosy, the Naaman, who was one of the commander of chief in Syria, the, the nation that was just like a tormenting Israel, and how God still had his hand upon the general uh, of this nation called Syria, and how he just allowed him to come to Israel and dip himself seven times in the water. And the seventh time when he came out, his hand, the leprosy, was completely healed. And it took obedience. It took for him to become transparent in the lives of the people that he was traveling with. Right? And then we saw how that, that the, there was... The, a period in time like, you know, when, when all of these things were happening, God was not interested in, in just like, you know, cleaning up our mess. God is not just interested in healing our sickness, but instead he's interested in opening our spiritual eyes so we can actually see 
what is beyond that healing. We can see beyond what was happening. Last week, there was a, there was a colonel, an army major, was listening to this message. And he said afterwards, how there was just this one thing that we talked about in, in, in opening our eyes to see the bitterness, to see the water that being bitter in Mara. And he said several years ago, he had this trouble with his friend. And, and he was convicted to go back and to reconcile with this man after that message. And the thing is, we have no idea what these messages and the Word of God is going to do. But one thing I know for certain, the Word is not going to written in void. It's going to do what it's called to do. And this morning, we're going to look at the, how desperate are you for the breakthrough? You prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing seems to uh, move. And, and, and you feel like, uh, is, is God really listening to me? And is, is, is my battle real? Because I seem to be all by myself in this battle. And God, I've been praying, and, and not just like one day or two days. For months I've been praying, but this is something that's just like sticking on to me. And, and God is saying, I hear you. And, and this message this morning is about a man who has been affected, he, who was paralytic his entire life, and how God is touching this man to get healed. But also, this miracle is packaged with so much of truth inside that. That's what I'm excited about. This message this morning that we are talking about is recorded in three of the four Gospels. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. It's recorded in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and it's also recorded in Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26. But this morning, we're just going to pick up Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And what I'm going to do is like as I'm reading through, I'm just going to give like a few of these things on like a connecting the dots in this uh, you know, passage. And then we will go into how can we apply this today. Because none of these miracles matter if we are not able to apply them for today and into our lives. So let's go to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And here's how, if, if you are reading the book of Mark, the first chapter, you should just look at the first chapter. It's almost like Mark is in a hurry. He wants to tell everything very quickly. It's like a one action after the other. He's just like a going boom, 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 you know, in there. But it, when it came to the second chapter, he's starting to slow down and record some of the very critical information. And that's why, um, you know, it's good for us to read this chapter this morning and also it is believed that Peter dictated, Peter told Mark many of the things, and Mark was recording it. And a couple of months ago, uh, one of our uh, you know, members uh, in the line, you know, Vince, 
was talking about a, a, a documentary on TV called Chosen. And uh, they have like a seven or eight episodes in the first season. And one of those that they have covered is this paralytic thing. And I was watching this, and that's what connected me to the fact that how Peter was asking Mark to write about these things made sense. Okay, so having said that, let's go. It says, and again, he entered Upanam after some days, and he, and it was heard that he, Jesus, was in the house. So, two things. Number one, you know, the, the gospel says, like, a, you know, in one of the gospels, like a Matthew, he says, he came to his own city. Jesus, at this point, was actually keeping Capernaum as his hometown. This is where his headquarters for everything that he was doing, he was staying in Capernaum and then going to different cities and coming back to this town, right? And the house here is believed to be the Peter's house, and it could possibly his mother-in-law's house as well. And this particular house that it is talking about, he was in the house. The house that it is talking about is still alive. There is a church or the temple is on top of this building. So just the authenticity of the story is, you know, is at its full length, right? And let's look at this city for a second, Capernaum. This is in the, in the Galilee or the northern Israel. If you're looking at the biblical villages, and this is on the very top about that Sea of Galilee, right? And it's, it's, it's one of the cities where there's so much of history. This is where the, that uh, miracle of Bethsaida happened because that city of Bethsaida is here. Um, and the Mount of Beatitudes is uh, here in Capernaum. And the other things like the Jordan River just comes and joins the Sea of Galilee. And it's on the northern part of Galilee is where Capernaum is. And the other thing that was so significant about Capernaum is this. This is a city, right, uh, that happened to be like a, in, the, in the seaport, the, the main trading villages. Um, somebody on the main line, if you can put yourself on mute. Um, so it's in the main trading village or, a, you know, a joint where people who were traveling for business would touch upon Capernaum. It, it was very vibrant part of Palestine, even though there was about like a 1,500 people lived in the city, most of them were fishermen, but a lot of travelers came through this town, right? And not only that, this town of Capernaum, you know, wasn't there in the Old Testament. It probably got built or, you know, became popular during the 2nd century B.C. to the 13th century B.C. Uh, it was vibrant, and even today it's like, a, you know, a village where the, the people do fishing from, right? But what is more important about the city is this. Because Jesus was present in this city, there were so many signs and wonders happened in the city. This is the city where the centurion's son was healed. 
in Matthew 8. This is a city where the nobleman's son was healed in John chapter 4. This is a city where Simon Peter's mother-in-law got healed in Mark chapter 1. This is a city where the paralytic that we are going to read today is, is got healed. And this is a city where Jesus has casted out, you know, so many of the unclean spirits. Uh, uh, the, even in the first chapter of Mark, you can see that. This is a city where Jesus raised the Jairus' daughter to life. This is a city where the woman that was bleeding with a blood issue got healed. And, and so there is so much of history that is in the city, right? So now we move on to the second verse. It says that immediately many gathered together. So there is a, there is a big noise in the city. People have heard that Jesus is in town. And so immediately many gathered so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. So the house was like a packed. It's, it's almost like, a, you know, the president of the U.S. had come to somebody's house and immediately people hear that, oh, he's here. And so they're all flocking and just like a flooding the place, right? And so there was no longer room to receive. So the house is packed to, you know, every single spot in that house was just completely packed. And the doors are blocked. No one can enter anymore. But inside the house, Jesus was preaching the word to them. Isn't that amazing? That, that, that Jesus here was just not just preaching in a synagogue alone. He was preaching inside the houses. He was preaching in the mountaintops. We'll look a little bit later about this particular thing, which is very critical for us to learn from. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Normally, to carry somebody... Uh, you only need like a two people. Even if they put it on a stretcher and carry, just two people is good enough. But here, this man must have been really heavy that it, it required four people. So he's not like a skinny, skinny little guy, right? And when they could come near him, because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So here's the thing. So they come through the main door. The door is not possible to go in. So they go about the roof, and they're bringing them in. And here's another reason why I thought this information is very critical. When, Matthews wrote his, when Matthew wrote his gospel, he just says, four men brought the paralytic man because he, he saw the miracle and he tracked. Matthew saw the miracle and he just tracked the miracle. Four men brought a paralytic man and Jesus said this and they were healed and he was healed, right? But whereas in Mark's gospel, it gives a little bit more detail. They actually opened the, 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 the ceiling and they brought this four men in. You know why that is so important? Because Peter is dictating 
this message to Mark. And for Peter, it is not just the, the miracle that's happening. Peter is also saying, oh, my God, my house is being torn apart. And I'm looking, there is a hole in my house. I have to fix my hole in the house. So for Peter, it was more than just a miracle. He sees the hole that needed to be fixed as well. That may be why he tracked this fact that the person was just like a brought from the roof down, right? So the verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your son, sins are forgiven you. Jesus didn't see the mess, what they made, but instead he saw their faith. For, for them to do all this, Jesus was amazed by their faith. We will look at their faith in a minute, but it was just one of the big factors in, uh, in this miracle. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemy like of this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the thing is that they were not just talking it loud. If you had watched this movie, um, a Mel Gibson movie, um, you know, about where he is actually able to listen to the voices of the woman that was going in their head. It's almost like that where God was just like a Jesus in that room was actually listening to what they were about to say. They're just thinking about it, but Jesus could hear what they were thinking, right? But this passage also is the first of the five conflict conversations Jesus had with the spiritual leaders of this day. He was challenging their wisdom. We'll see what, what Jesus was doing. But here's the thing. Whatever they were thinking, they were half right. They, they, they came, right, and, and to see Jesus in that room, they may not have come, but they did come, and they were trying to reason out what he was trying to do. And they're right that God only can forgive, but the only thing that they forgot to see was Jesus is the son of the living God. And that's what they missed the scene, right? So they didn't get to the end of it. But verse 8 says, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus with themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. Jesus is actually reasoning this out with them. Why? Because Jesus was saying, what is easy? You know, it is much easier for me to say, oh, take up your bed and walk. That's the most easiest thing that I can say. Because if I say your sins are forgiven, there is no benchmark that I can actually show to you that this man's sin was forgiven. It's not like every one of us have a sin stain on our body and that God can just like wipe us clean. And the, the, this is not even a visible evidence of things that are, are happening in the, in the life of this man, which is easier. I could have easily said, oh, you get up and walk. That's much more for me to do because you cannot tell that this man's 
sins were forgiven. It's not like I've washed it in front of your eyes. Only when we get to heaven, we can see that this man's sin was forgiven. And so he was reasoning it out. Jesus wasn't like a getting mad that these people were, were getting, uh, are thinking like this. Jesus was very rational about like this conversation because they were trying to reason it out with him. Right? Sometimes, this is a lesson, when somebody tries to throw dirt at like Jesus, throw dirt at the church, we get like so defensive. We wanted to defend God. We wanted to defend Jesus. The thing is this, we need to find a rational ground to have a conversation with the people, even when they are trying to take a shot at us. We need to have facts around us to prove to this world, especially the millennials that are looking for an answer. We cannot just say, ah, that's what the Bible says. You should not be drinking. That's what the Bible says. You should not have, you know. The thing is, we should have a rational conversation. In order for us to have a rational conversation, we need to know the Word of God. We need to soak ourselves in the word of God. In fact, the next verse says, but that you may know that Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Jesus is making a very profound statement in verse 10. We would miss it if we are not paying attention to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually, you know, making his statement with something that they already know, the scribes already know. He's actually going back to their own text and he's talking to them. Why? Because Son of Man is a title or the name. Remember, we were doing a, a, this study on the names, right? Son of Man is one of the names that is recorded to, to compare Jesus. 83 times or 84 times in the New Testament, we see the reference to the Son of Man. If we order the names that were given to Jesus in the New Testament with their frequency, the number one name that Jesus was referred to in the New Testament is Christ. And number two is the Lord. And number three is the Son of Man. Right? But in Jesus' mind, he was calling himself as the Son of Man. It is the number one thing. You know why? Because every single time the reference to the Son of Man was used was called on by Jesus himself. It's not like a Jesus was humbling himself to say, oh, I am a Son of Man. Oh, I'm just like you. No, no, no. Jesus was making a reference to Daniel chapter 7. There is a vision that was tracked in the scrolls the scribes knew from Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel's talking about a vision that he had at night. And when he saw that vision, there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached to the Ancient of Days and led into his presence and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion 
is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What is Jesus doing? He's referring to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He is talking about a vision that Daniel had, and Daniel refers to the man in that vision as the son of man, that he would come with the clouds of heaven. Daniel saw in the last days, before everything comes to a glorified moment, before we get to heaven, he saw the Son of Man come down from heaven and take his beloved back home. And his dominion, his control, his kingdom will never end. And Jesus is referring to that Son of Man. And the scribes knows what Jesus is talking about. Because he says, I am that son of man. This is where, you know, a lot of times the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons constantly challenge the Christianity and the Christian faith that Jesus was never referred to himself as God. He was referring himself as a prophet. Only Jehovah is God. But here is a very clear manifestation of God's name in the Bible that is referring himself. Jesus himself is referring that he is the Son of Man, that his dominion is not going to end. Right? Let's move on to the next verse. It says, that He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is new. That Jesus is doing something in the lives of these men and women that are watching around him in that city. What brought the, the, this man into that room were those four friends and, and that, that, that he was healing. You know, it wasn't even in the agenda for that day. In the agenda for the day, Jesus was just like out there to just preach the word. And he was doing a good job with that one. But then when the disturbance happened, he did not you know, get offended or, you know, taken by all these things. But he says to the man, take up the bed that carried you and move and go on. Right? What is Jesus saying here? When, when he told this man, he could have said, go ahead, walk away from here, took up, you know, and, you know, arose, go, go home, right? He could have stopped and said something like that. But instead he says, you know, he told him to take the bed and go. And this is a, a, another lesson that we could learn, learn from this, where God is saying, when you are affected by something, when you are affected by cancer, when you are affected by a financial trouble, when you are affected by a cancer, when you are affected by, you know, a divorce or 
or, or Alzheimer's or whatever the disease may be, when you get cured, when you get well, when you get out of that situation, don't just like to glorify God and live your life happily ever after. What you were carried on, the map on which you came in, now you carry the map that carried you. God is asking us to go after this particular thing that you have just come out of and go after the people that are going through the same situation that you and I were going through at one point, this misery at one point, this turmoil that you had at one point, this pain that you had at one point, this trouble that you had at one point. Don't just like glorify God and just like be happily living ever after, but instead go after those things that you have already been cured of and help the people who have not been able to help themselves. God is asking us to go down this route for our family, our friends, our children, our husband. This is a this is a very famous miracle in the Bible from the Sunday school. This miracle has been talked about so many times. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to this morning erase a lot of those stories for a moment so we can actually dig deeper into these verses and see what God is talking to us about. We've already seen many of these things by just reading the text. Just reading the text, there's so many things that just jumped out of it, right? But here's the two important things that I just wanted to cover very quickly this morning. Number one, we cannot go down without a fight in our faith. The Bible's very clear. Nothing is done unless the Father says it's done. When God decides to do something through your life, there is nothing the enemy can do to stop it. No season, no mistake, no mess, no argument, nor any human limitation can stop the Father in heaven to do what you're asking him to do. When Jesus came to the tomb where Lazarus was buried, he didn't come there to just to say, come out of the grave. Then grave, when, 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 when Jesus said to Lazarus, come out of the grave, right? It was on a request that Mary and Martha made that Jesus showed up, right? But when Jesus spoke to the grave, the grave had no choice but to let Lazarus go. If you are praying for a breakthrough, waiting for God to just like intervene in your life and my life. Know this for sure. A word coming out of his mouth that just said arose. That's all he said to the man who couldn't walk. Get up. That's all Jesus had to say. You and I are just like a one word away from the breakthrough that God has called us to do. Let's look at this miracle one more time, right? So these men were carrying a man that was paralytic, and it was packed. They could not go in. It's almost like when you're going to a concert and you are just like looking for that one parking lot. It's all full. You cannot go inside. 
everything. You're desperately looking for that one slot that you can slide your car in, right? You go to a grocery store, you're in a hurry, no open lots, and you're circling and circling, and you couldn't find that. Think about, like, uh, the days are coming in the next two months uh, for the Christmas gift that you're going to go into that mall, and you're not going to find that parking lot. Let those kind of things that you're going to run into in the future, let it remind you that that this particular miracle was exactly happened in that same way, right? They, they have carried him all the way. And, and it could have been very disappointing because they could not get through that door, right? And this is where most of our our, our faith stops. This is probably not God's will. That's why my, my husband is not able to recover from this addiction. This is probably why my son is not getting through. This is probably why, you know, my, my daughter is not able to get the job. I mean, we kind of like to justify by saying, oh, maybe this is not God's will. That's why it's not happening, right? If only those four men had just like walked into that point and just said like, ah, too bad. We just have to go back because there is no way we can get through. Maybe we can wait outside. He may come out and we can get through. But this is, not what those four men were doing. They were not ready to give up. They didn't come this far to go home without a miracle. They probably didn't even tell this man who was lying on the mat what they were about to do. Sometimes you pray and pray and pray and your answer is not coming. God is saying to you this morning, I heard your prayer, but I want to raise up to the next level in your prayer. I've heard you have done these things in the past, but I want you to increase your intensity in your walk with me. God is saying, like, that door that you were about to go in that is not opening and you are upset and disappointed with me? No, 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 no. Let me tell you. The reason why I haven't really allowed you to go through that door is because that door can only lead you to this much of your, your blessing. But when you come to the next level, when you go above the cloud like the eagle, when you are just above that situation, now when you come to this place, the kind of blessing that I have for you requires you to increase your intensity in your faith. And God is saying, like, don't get frustrated because this door hasn't opened for you. You and I are doing everything possible. You're tithing, you're praying, you're fasting. But God is saying, that's all good, but I want you to go to a higher plane. God is saying that I have to deal with you in a different level. God is saying, the calling that I have in your life is not for a normal people. When they didn't open, when they didn't find the door, they made a door on the roof. This morning, God is reminding you and me 
Do not get offended over silly reasons and walk away from your calling. God is saying you are an eagle and not a chicken. If we just like a dig a little bit deeper at this point, the Bible says Jesus was astonished. Jesus saw their faith. He actually healed this man seeing the faith of those four that carried him. There is only four times in the book of Mark's gospel that the, the word faith is mentioned. And all four times it represented an action that people did that just like showed that there was something more they were putting into the pile, just like these four men. Faith is something that you are just going to hold on to, persevere over, and you're just going to push through that ground when nothing is happening for you and me. The the lady that was sick for 12 years, she pushed through the crowd. She pushed and pushed and pushed to get to the hem of his garment. God is reminding us this morning to push and push and push and push. In the middle of his preaching, when he was interrupted by the noise of something breaking up on the top of the building, Jesus was not offended by the mess that they were making in that room. Jesus knows our messy situation. He knows and he can see and he can see through and pass through our situation. He wasn't expecting us to be perfect. If God was expecting us to have a perfect life and a perfect situation, he wouldn't have come down to die on the rugged cross. He knows how to get to you and me, even in the midst of our turmoil, even in the midst of our pain. And what amazed Jesus uh, is is the things that these four men did. And God is asking us to see if we have the same faith like these four men. What kind of faith did these guys have? Their faith had confidence, right? They wouldn't have gone to this extreme if they didn't believe that Jesus can heal. What kind of a confidence do you have in your faith when things are not moving? Do you? It's very easy for us to be in a setup like this where we are reading the word, listening to the word, when we are in the Bible study, when we are in the middle of all the people that can help, it's always very easy for us to have confidence in faith. But when the rubber meets the road, when the things look really hard, when we are not able to break, find a breakthrough, do you and I have the confidence to push through. If one door is closed, do we still have the confidence to go look for the terrace so we can break through? Because when you get a chance, here's one thing that I'm going to ask you to do after this, and I'm going to put this link in the message today and send it out. When, when you watch this, this series called Chosen, you can see how there is a woman out there from the terrace. She was arguing with Jesus, saying, Jesus, you healed the sick. You sent the demons out. Would you not heal 
my brother, this, this friend of mine. She was just pleading his case with Jesus while all the people in that room, including the Pharisees and Sadducees, were arguing. She was just fighting because she knows that there is a chance. It's, it's talking about like a how we have to have a confidence in our faith of like a what we are about to get is going to come through because he has already won the battle in your behalf and my behalf. The second one I, that amazed God is that faith had compassion attached to it. They really loved this guy. They wouldn't have gone this far this much of measure to break through the, the, the wall or the ceiling or whatever that they were trying to break and get this guy in. They didn't care, right, about, they didn't care about like what others would think. All they were caring about is this man that they were caring because their compassion for, their love for this man was to, you know, you know, drop him down to the feet of Jesus, then he will be healed. They knew and they loved him. This is what you and I will do when things are not happening. If the person that we're praying for, you know, has got a little less value in our life, we probably will brush off saying, oh, I prayed for this guy. He didn't get cured. But think about it this way. If it was your husband, that is having a cancer, if it, is, if it is your son, if it is your daughter, if it is your brother, if it is your mother, if it is your father, the way in which you would go after is, is going to be different because of the love that you have, the compassion you have. And when you are praying for that person, you're not going to just like a pray, like a golf clap here. You're just going to go after this issue that they are facing with the compassion because you know your husband has done wrong. You know your daughter has done wrong things. You know they are not in the right side of the wrong. You know your, your business hasn't been in the right place. You know your son hasn't been in the right place. You know your brother or sister were not in the right place. But you know what? You are not giving up on that person just like this for. God is reminding us to have a faith like this for because these men loved this paralytic man. The other thing that amazed Jesus was their creativeness in their faith. Even though he was reckless, they were very resourceful. They were just like going after this. Even though there were obstacles all the way, even though there was a roof, even though there was a crowd, they were very resourceful. They were just like a going after because they want to get this man down. You and I need to be creative in our, in our faith. I'm not saying that you go like a demolisher, you know, a building and just like to do things like that. I'm just saying you and I need to have, you know, be creative in how we are reaching the next generation. We have to be creative 
in going after the lost. We have to be creative. We cannot just like a go and tell somebody, oh, accept Christ. You have to go into places. I'm not saying we should be bribing them to bring them into Christ. I'm saying we need to be creative in just like a taking the message of Christ that they will be able to consume what we are trying to say. This world right now that we are living in is very creative, and that's why they're able to sell the drugs. They were, they're able to sell the single parenthood. They're able to sell the LGBT. They're able to sell. The world is really good at selling things to us. How creative are we to tell about a Christ to the next generation? We haven't been. We haven't been in that spot because we immediately get like a frustrated and angry and our pride kicks in and we think the word of God is already powerful enough to do its job. Why am I just have to be creative? No. We have to take the weapon because the battle that we are in is real. The enemy is real. What we are fighting against is real. He's after our children. He's after our marriage. He's after our business. We need to stand up and be creative. The last thing that Jesus amazed about their faith was that it was contagious. This man was lying on a mat. They decided to come and pick him up. And instead of going and listening and coming back and telling this guy, they were so, um, you know, into work, like they were trying to figure out how to get this man inside. They've done everything. But think about like a how even the man lying on that bed, on the mat, you know, in the beginning, he wouldn't have even believed that he was going to get healed that day. But because these guys were doing so much to help this man to get into that room, I'm sure at one point, even this man lying on that bed would have said, probably, this Jesus may heal me, right? And they came to the door, and the door was blocked. And this man was lying. And this man probably was lying on that bed for the entire life, because it doesn't say whether he, was, uh, he became paralytic in the middle or, or he was paralytic from the birth, but it was a disappointing moment for him, and he needed that encouragement. This world around us needs the same encouragement. And that's why God has placed us right now in this time of the history. He has placed us in this moment in time so we can become like those four men that walked the talk. That, that were so good, you know, in, in, in their heart that they were having so much of compassion. They were creative. They were contagious. And they were confident that Jesus is going to heal them. And that's what made Jesus amazed. In fact, the Bible says Jesus saw their faith and healed or, or said to this man, 
Son of Man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw their faith, and because of which, on that day, he said, Arose, go home, take your bed, you're healed. What am I saying? Don't give up when the first door is closed. God wants to know how desperate are you to get what you're asking for. Are you willing to get up when things are messy and even when the prayers are not answered? Know this for sure this morning that because of you, your family is going to be saved. Because of you, your business is going to flourish. Because of you, your son and daughter are going to get healed. Because of you, your husband is going to come home. Because of you, your wife is going to see the resurrection of God. You and I are placed well by God for this time and this situation. And God is asking you and me this morning, will you go down without a fight? I'm telling you, the Jesus that we worship sees you and me. Thank God that he sees you and me when we are in pain and when we are in disappointment because it is in our weakness his strength is exposed. The enemy is not going to be this busy in your life if he knows you are a quitter. The opposition is not going to be this heavy if what you're fighting for is worthy enough to break the chains and destroy the yoke. The biggest battle, the biggest trial, the biggest tribulations are reserved only for the people who have the hand of God in their life. When God opens the door, no one can shut. This morning, I'm here to encourage you, don't give up on your fight. The fight that you're in today requires the grace, and that grace is sufficient for you. The second one that I wanted to very quickly talk about this morning is that Jesus was preaching the word. He was in the middle of the house. He could have been doing so many things in Capernaum, in Peter's house. This is his friend's house. He could be having a dinner and just like a leave it as is. But instead, when we read the first chapter of, of Mark, from there, Mark is very clearly tracking something about Jesus. And it is true of Jesus. He says, you know, in the verse 14, now after John was put in prison, this was the first chapter of Mark, it says, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Galilee is just about like a six miles away from Capernaum. Then they went to Capernaum in verse 21. And immediately on Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Verse 38 it says, let us come, let us go into the next town that I may preach there also because of this purpose I've come forth. 
verse 39 of Mark 1, it says, He was preaching in their synagogue throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Even in this chapter 2, verse 2, he says he was preaching the word to them. And, and even later, as we go through the book of Mark, we see again and again and again, Jesus was preaching. Why would what he want to preach? God knows the world that he was in and the world that we are in is lost. Jesus knows that his spiritual need, that, 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 that the spiritual need right now is more important for this world than the physical healing. He knows how to get the attention of the people through preaching. Because even now that God allowed this whole pandemic to happen around the world so that the, the men and women of God will wake up to preach. Our ultimate problem that we face in this earth is the separation from God. And that's what Jesus came to bridge. We should make every effort to reach the lost. And that's the message of the kingdom that Jesus is doing, even in those days. And he wants us to do today. It wasn't in the synagogue or the temple alone that he was preaching. He was preaching wherever he went. He went to the mountain and he preached. He stood in the middle of the busy market street and he was preaching. He was sharing the gospel. You know what, to me, what is so critical, you know, in this journey is, is not just this like, a, you know, reading the word or, you know, meditating on the word and things like that. And I was telling God this week, because I was so convicted as I was preparing this message. I was so convicted and I was telling God, God, I'm so tired of this boring Christian life. I want something more than this. I'm just not willing to just like to take this, God. I'm done with all this. God, I want to go meet with the people who are lost and I want to be there when somebody is just needing my hand, I want to touch somebody and help them as they go through this thing. And I was saying, God, I just need to be there. And God is so funny in that he knows when you're asking for something, he's going to answer. That's why, you know, between now and next week, this is my schedule, right? God says, okay, you want to go meet with the people? Let me show you what you can do to meet with the people. Tonight, I'm preaching in another church in, in Charlotte this evening at 5 o'clock. Then on Wednesday, I'm preaching for Dr. Peter Rins at Antioch. And Thursday, I'm in Beaufort preaching at a leader's retreat. And Friday night, we have a prayer, and we have a word of God to be preached there. And Sunday morning, we'll come here, and then Sunday evening, I'm preaching in a different church in, in Charlotte. And, and the reason why I'm saying this is because we should just like to wake up to this like a new energy that God has placed in your life and my life, and we have to use it for the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was using every energy to get the word out. When we were in India, when I grew up, uh, and, and I gave my life to Christ, uh, when I was in the second year of college. And during our, our summer break and a winter break, we would go back home 
and the church that I was part of would take us on the streets of Chennai, which is in the southern part of India, we would have these hand microphones, these big megaphones that we would have in our hands. And we would preach the word of God from the streets. We were like, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds on the streets. We were like, you know, 10, 15 of us. Because in India, when you are preaching like that on the streets, you can get hurt very quickly. People can throw stones at you very quickly. But there was just this energy that God has placed in our heart to go into those streets and start to preach. Right? Sometimes, when God calls us to go to places like that to preach, it's not because like, he, he doesn't have a way to get the attention or, or he cannot get the message out to the people. He's actually working in our heart first. When we go out there to minister in prison, I've always believed very strongly in my heart that God is using us to go there for us to get healed. And those kind of moments that when we walked into those streets, the sewage waters were running across that, you know, areas, the slum areas, and we would step on and go. It would smell. But then there was just this vigor. We had that energy. There was just like a vengeance in our heart to tell about the Christ that we know and enjoy. We would go into those houses those thatched houses in the southern part of India, that we would step into their houses, they will not have a floor. And that floor that we, they are living in is very wet. And we would get on our knees and we would pray for those people. And the people that we are praying for were getting healed and seeing the gospel just like come out alive in those slums that we walked in. And that kind of energy is no longer there. I'm not talking about you. It's no longer there in my own life. I don't have that kind of like a passion that I could go after telling about the Christ this morning. I'm asking you to renew your strength and renew my strength to go after these things. We are so complacent because... We are saturated with the Bible verses. We are saturated with the gospel music. We are saturated with the conferences where men and women come and speak. We're so good in listening, but we have to take what we have in our hand and turn it around and give it back for the kingdom. The world we are living in is a need of this God. We need to go out there and talk about the Christ that we love. We have, you know, we have so many churches that have, that have just like a started to plan on how to bring people into their church and how to program these messages and how to build big buildings and all these things that they're talking about, a building plan and all those things while we have 6,000 to 7,000 people, like a group of people, the nations and the tribes, a group 7,000 plus groups of people across this world were not reached with the gospel. There are over 2 billion people on this earth 
that are living today and are going to die and go to hell without even hearing the gospel. There's one thing to tell somebody about the Christ and they don't accept. But here we're talking about like a two billion people never even heard of the Christ that we are preaching. Only three to eight percent of the people across this nation are even going to church on Sunday morning. When we think about like this two billion people, we're thinking like a third world countries like China, India, and Japan, or we're thinking about South America, Colombia, we're thinking about Africa, we're thinking about like other countries that need help. So sorry, America needs help today. Only 3% of people in most of the cities are going to church or believing in God in this nation, period. God has the power to save these men and women. God has the power to save our children in the inner city. God has the power to save the men and women that are serving time in prison. God is burning to recover the, what is there in enemy's hands there are over 80 million people. Yeah, there is in the world, there is a problem. In, in, in a nation called Turkey, there are 80 million people. Only 6,000 are believers. And God is reminding us today, we need to be like those men who carried this, this man who was, you know, not able to walk who was not able to see the truth, who was not able to see the Christ, they just like a victim, went to the roof, broke the roof, and brought this man inside to see. And God is saying, this morning, to you and me, to start having this burning desire to start praying for those people in our lives that are lost don't go looking for another nation to go serve. Look in your own house. Look in your own city. Look in your own neighborhood. Look around us first and see who's not given up in their life. And the thing is this, you and I have an opportunity. If only we can pray for those people to begin with and start looking for creative ways to get the gospel into their hands. I heard like a, a preacher who was talking about like a, him being creative and going out to these different places to tell about the gospel that he dearly loved. One time he was just like a sitting in front of the fortune teller and he was telling the fortune teller he knows her future. And she was laughing about it. And he said, your future doesn't look good. And he started to talk, and as he started to talk, her face started to become, you know, freshen up and grim, from grimness. And she started to see how there is a life beyond what she's doing. What am I saying? That God will open our eyes to see the brokenness and the lack of forgiveness in people in helping them to see the saving knowledge of Christ. Here's how I want to land this morning. Jesus is not just a miracle worker, not an ordinary miracle worker. But instead, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He is the resurrection. He is the shepherd. He is the true wine. 
And God says in John chapter 10, verses 9, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. They will find the prosperity in life when they go through this door. He's saying in the door that he's going to allow you and me to go through, that door is a protected door. He's saying anyone who comes through this door will be saved. He says very clearly he's not going to allow the enemy to put a sign on his door. This is the gospel Jesus preached. We can go to Africa and preach them to trust in Jesus, and we can tell them their HIV or AIDS will be gone. No problem. It's easy. We can just link, we can just get there with a plane ticket. We can go to South America and do the same thing and say how they can come out of drugs. We can come to America and say, trust in Jesus, your cancer will be cured. That's all good. But that's not the gospel Jesus was preaching. He was saying, trust in Jesus, your sins will be gone. Jesus has an authority as a son of man to heal the heart. Of course, he will heal the sickness in our bodies. But he's saying, he speaks to that paralytic man, arose, and he got up. He speaks to the demon and say, run, and they run. He speaks to the death, and the death obeys. None of the things in the world are sovereign. None of the things have permanence except for the Christ that we love. The sickness has no permanence. The death has no permanence. The sin has no permanence when he speaks. The cancer will not have the last word in a people's life. The tumor will not have the last word. The divorce will not have the last word. The failure in business will not have the last word. The Alzheimer and Parkinson's will not have the last word. The pain will not have the last word. And the tribulations will not have the last word. The hospital rooms will not have the last word. The hospice homes will not be the last word that you and I will hear. The death will not be the last word that you and I will hear. Because the death has been defeated by the Son of Man. His name is Jesus, and he alone will have the last word in your life and my life and across this world. This morning, only two things that I talked about. One, we cannot go down without a fight. And number two, our hearts need to be burning and we see the last. There are so many other truths we can derive from this passage in Mark chapter 2. But I'm here this morning to encourage you that this fight that you're in is real and the enemy is real. And you know that. There's nothing new that I'm telling you this morning. But all I'm here to encourage you is that the same way how this paralytic man just started to walk, even the problems in your life will walk away. The pain will go. The tribulations will go. And you will see because the door through which we are entering this morning is a door that has a seal on top of it. That seal is applied in your head and my head. Ms. Katina. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for this word this morning, Zero, and allowing us to examine our hearts and remind ourselves that the God that we serve wants to provide us a sozo healing, a complete healing, like he did for the lepers and the blind and for the man that dipped himself in the water seven times and was cured and was healed. Reminding us that God is interested in opening our spiritual eyes so that we can see beyond the healing. Yeah, he wants to heal us, but there's something more that he wants to show us. There's something more that he wants from us. Mark, the second chapter, verse 1 through 12, you talked about the man who had paralysis his entire life and about the men who were very diligent in carrying the man down, opening up the roof. It took four men to do the work that was called upon them. They brought this man down through the roof into the house to where Jesus was where he was speaking and he forgave the man. He saw the men's faith and didn't see anything else that was going on in the environment, the past environment, but he saw the hearts of the men. He saw the faith of the men. He rationalized with them. He had a conversation with them. He had an encounter with them. And he healed the man. So I ask, how desperate are you like these men? Are you as desperate as them for your breakthrough? The men were desperate for this paraplegic and and wanted him to receive his breakthrough. If you are praying for a breakthrough like the paralytic man, we cannot go down without a fight. We have to fight in our faith. Are you willing to not give up on the miracle? We are just one word away. Like Jesus provided one word to the man, he told him that his sins were healed and to go, take up his bed and go. We're just one word away from our breakthrough. Our God is saying, I heard your prayer, and he wants to increase our intensity. He doesn't want us to get frustrated at what it looks like or what it seems like right now. He doesn't want us to get frustrated on, is our prayer even being answered? Maybe this is not his will. Maybe this is his will. God wants to take us to another level. He wants to remind us to not walk away from the prayer, to not walk away from our calling. He wants us to soar like eagles. He wants to take us higher and closer to him. He wants us to not give up, but rather push like the men did. The four men, they did not give up. They pushed. They kept going. They persevered. Do we have the same type of faith 
that those men had? Do we have the confidence in who he is and in what our God is capable of? Do we really know what all he can truly do in our lives? Do we have the confidence to look for the breakthrough? The men had faith and passion was attached to their actions and their prayer and their doing. They did not give up. We can't give up. The men were creative in their faith. They were resourceful. They thought about what could we do in order to lower this man down. They opened up the roof. We need to be creative in how we can reach the lost. Sometimes it requires us to have to go into places and take the message so that we're able to consume, so that the people are able to consume the message that we're bringing. We have to be creative in taking the weapon to the battlefield because this battle that we are fighting is real every day. The men's faith was contagious. Are the people around you affected by your unwavering faith? Is your faith contagious? Jesus knew that he had to make every effort to go out and preach the word of God and share the gospel. So it wasn't just about the healing that he was going through Capernaum giving. He was actually there to preach and spread and share the gospel. We should be using every energy that we have to get the word of God out. And we should never miss a God-sent opportunity. We have to take what we have in our hands and give it back for the kingdom's sake. God has the power to save and recover and take back what the enemy has tried to steal from us. The final thoughts are, we can't go down without a fight. We have to have a burning desire to pray, to be creative, to cast down the word of God to the people. We should ask God to open our eyes so that we can see what's going on around us, in our homes, in our families, and with our friends, in our neighborhood, in the environment that we live in. Because of our continuous and unwavering faith, continuous prayer, our family, our people, and our land can be healed and saved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So saints, don't give up on our grace because it is sufficient for us and our loved ones. And remember, the Jesus that we worship sees you and me and our breakthrough is only one word away. Amen. Amen. Ms. Brenda. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. 
Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that you are, that we are your beloved children, having received you into our hearts and lives and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness. The price you paid cover us for all times, and our desire is to live for you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who will receive you. We can't begin to fathom the agonizing suffering of your crucifixion. Yet you took that pain for us. You died for us. Yes, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your extravagant love and unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life, abundant life, now and eternal life forever. As you instructed your disciples, we too receive this bread in remembrance of you. And in the same way as we take this cup representing your blood poured out from a splintered cross, we realize that you were the supreme sacrifice for all our sins, past present, and future. Because of your blood shed for us and your body broken for us, we can be free from the power and penalty of sin. Thank you for your victory over death. You took the death that we deserved. You took our punishment. Your pain was indeed our gain. And today, we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood you spilled. Amen. Amen. Thank you, you, Jesus. Just like that prayer, what Ms. Brenda prayed this morning, it is very important for us to know what Jesus did on that cross. You know, it's not like we don't know, but, you know, every day it's just like a a struggle. Every day it's like a pain. Every day it's like, you know, going through another battleground. Once it's over, another one starts, right? And every time we go through that door, God is saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you go through this journey, the next time you see another door that is shut, God is saying, raise up because I'm waiting for you in the roof. God is saying, let me give you these weapons so you can actually fight against the enemies. Let me open the door for you in the roof so you can lie down and just like ascend your your body down through that roof into the presence of God. This morning, as we take the bread, just like what Jesus did, he broke it and gave it to his disciples that night before he was crucified. He's saying, take this bread. As a body, that is, you will remember me in every situation that you run into. Let's take the bread. Mm-hmm. 